to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. It's great being back with you guys. Uh, I don't take off very, get off very many Sundays, and so uh, last Sunday, um, uh, time for us just to... Um, take in the new year, had some friends from out of town come in, and so um, it's great getting back um, to see everyone, even though we're, we're not hardly ever uh, missing, but um, to, man, to hear uh, Brad lead, uh, I, I've always said I get stuck on um, um, certain worship songs, and so um, I always say, you know, like, I think heaven, will just get to have Shane and Shane leading, um, the, the, just song after song after song after song, but man, then I, I hear Brad just belting stuff out sometimes. And, you know, I mean, look, look what we've got. Now, we do have the original Old Testament pipe and drape like the Lord wanted to have. And all these churches that have went to fancy stuff. But our background's not great. You know, it's not a beautiful stage. There's, there's cattle droppings back here on the stage a lot of times and stuff. But Brad's up there belting stuff out. And I, I start thinking, like, man, I want Brad to join. I want him to be up there sometime with Shane and Shane. I don't know, like, your eschatology. It may not be true. I'm not trying to prophesy that Brad will be doing it. But then I thought, you know, if you know Brad... Um, he probably wouldn't be up there singing. Brad's probably going to be in the front row down there just weeping the whole time if you know his heart and you get to see him uh, because um, gifted, incredible, but his, his understanding of his brokenness and the grace of God, that's the songs that we sing. And so knowing he'll probably be just down there weeping and even if they tried to get him to lead, he'd just continue weeping down there at the foot of, the, foot of this uh, Savior, Jesus. And so um, we're thankful for Brad being able to lead us. Uh, his heart is more important than his singing ability and stuff. And so um, great to have someone with that kind of heart. Um, excited about the new year. I don't know for you guys, if uh, you're the type of people who jump into um, all the New Year's resolutions and things like that, it's a great time to re- remember and look back. So if you haven't had started this rhythm, it, it's on a big picture, it's what Sabbath rest should be. If you, in most churches don't talk a lot about Sabbath rest, but, but it's a time to, hey, we're here um, looking back previously at this last year what, what did God show me about myself? What was God showing me about myself? What was God doing around my life? What's God doing in, the, in the, the bigger area around me? And so to pause and to remember is always important. That's the reason that God placed feasts and all those um, different times that they would gather together for meals. It was a time to pause and to consider God's faithfulness. And so um, uh, at the same time, then we look forward, so this idea of Sabbath rest, that's why it's important to have, try to have a day of a Sabbath, a true Sabbath, where you're not working on next work stuffs or next works projects or um, even just killing yourself, cleaning and doing all this stuff, but, but to, to pause and have a day uh, of rest to where you're truly looking at um, God's faithfulness this last week on a small picture, but then this upcoming week, I'm going to rest in the Lord. Man, my, my kids are going through some stuff, my, my, my family's going through some stuff. Man, we're really struggling in this area. We're struggling that Sabbath rest says he's got it covered. Christ's work on the cross, what he did, he's got it covered. Look, look back. Look what he's done. It was it hard? Was it tough? It was much tougher for him, right? And, and people have a lot harder lives than we've had. And so he's faithful. Look, look at the grace on our lives. And then for this upcoming week, 
I don't have to worry and just work myself into a tizzy because he's faithful. And that's Sabbath rest. So when you take it on a weekly basis and you practice that rhythm, then if you look at a year long, you look back 2024. So for some of you, um, think back, there's probably some days or some weeks or some events that happened, some news that you got um, that may have caused fear, may have seemed overwhelming at the time, may have even seemed like, this is insurmountable. I I don't know what we're going to do on this. Some horrible news. Yet, what happened? He sent grace. Look at his faithfulness. And we don't pause enough to, to give him glory for that. We don't pause enough to thank him for that. We don't pause enough to look like, you overwhelmed me. It looked insurmountable. Instead, it ended up all full of grace. And so to have January is a time to kind of pause and think back and look what he has done. And, and you may have went through some hard times, but seen God's faithfulness. Or maybe it was a year of great health, great prosperity, a time when a lot of people around the world and, and in our country are struggling to get by. This season of life for you has been filled with financial gain and just gains and gains and steps. And, and, and you've been just amazed at God's faithfulness and grace. And so either way, it should be a season of looking at his faith and his, his faithfulness and his provision and giving him a glory. So that's attributing glory to him. Another small practice that you might do, uh, C.J. Mahaney in his book um, on humility talks about every night to kind of pause and look back. Just take a couple of minutes right before you fall asleep to pause and attribute glory, to ascribe glory and thanksgiving to him for, hey, you helped us through this day. I'm just pausing. Sometimes when you wake up in the morning, hey, thank you for breath this morning. My dad, every day that he used to wake up, he would wake up and turn his legs to the side, and he had a Bible sitting right there. Uh, sometimes I remember he would read, but he would, and I asked him one time, what, what, what do you do every morning? You kind of just sit up and you do this one thing, and he's like, I just like to just start out with a quick, just like, hey, thank you for this day, and thank, just a simple little thing. You think that's small, it's not this powerful, powerful quiet time, but he just would start out the day that way going, hey, I don't know what's going to happen today, but, but you're in control. You've got this. I'm thankful for what you're doing. Uh, so either way, we want to ascribe glory to him, looking back and looking forward. Now, if you're a time that um, looks at um, this um, New Year as, as a reset spiritually, sometimes people can u- look at it like that. That's a great thing to use. This as, It's a natural time for people to have a kind of a spiritual reset. Um, in, in that, we're going to talk about this in a second, but that we as a church, so last year was the first time we had done this, but to have a corporate renewal time. So in uh, praying and looking at some different things, and um, many of you have heard me, those, those mantras that I keep going, uh, those rhythms is what I would call it, of um, if God were to do anything for the saved people inside the church, and if God were to do anything for lost people outside the church, the things that must happen, you, you can't grow a church. You don't want to grow a church if these things don't happen. These are the musts for lost people. These are the musts for saved people. There has to be a conviction of sin. There must be conviction that, that the Holy Spirit is intersecting with our heart. So conviction comes, and then there must be repentance. So that, that idea of when you're saved, it's, it's ongoing faith and repentance. Faith and repentance. So you've got conviction from the Spirit. You're repenting and confessing, agreeing with God. I see that that the Bible says, live this way. I'm not doing that very well, Lord. I I can repent and turn. I want to turn from those sins I've been doing. I confess that to you. I agree with you that that is righteous and holy. Would you help me in that? Now there's renewal that comes. So conviction, repentance, confession, renewal. And then when you do that, you go, man, I don't have to sin that way. And so now there's, there's rest, learning to rest in what Christ has done, his work, his righteousness that you're walking in, and then that comes greater rejoicing. 
I worship you more. I have greater affections to you when I see I don't have to sin. It's not got me anymore. I, I can rest in you. I also uh, look back and when I have this ongoing pattern of those rhythms, uh, it's just a beautiful thing to think through. And so the new year for you may be a time to reset and think through, am I living that out? Um, for a lot of people, the new year's resolutions come down to maybe it's weight loss. Maybe it's exercise and fitness goals. Um, Maybe just getting out of debt. For a lot of people, it's a new budget, new financial planning. Uh, maybe minimize and declutter. That's a good one. Um, to organize things, that feels really good. When you kind of organize, it feels really clean and put away. Um, maybe it's mental health. Maybe you're just, even, even the lost world, they, they see mental health and just meditation. Just, just simply being quiet and sitting. But for, for believers, to meditate on the Word. To be in prayer. To meditate and to focus on the Word. Um, Maybe for some people it's a better rest, it's a new hobby, um, better income, it's a new start for a new job. Maybe for some people, um, and, and probably you have friends that you go, man, I wish they would do this, uh, a media, a social media rest that people, you have the people like, I'm done, I'm walking away, I'll talk to you guys later on, and, and then like, you know, 16 days later, they've got like all this vomit coming out on social media, and you're like, I, I thought you were going to do that. I, I was thinking, the rest of us were all thinking maybe a year you were going to take off from social media, but it looks like you're back, and so um, that happens, but but some for some people, maybe evaluate the hours. I brought up to my boys on their, their phones, just like, hey, here, let's look at the amount of um, uh, data that we're using, the amount of time that you're looking, is, is there any potential that some of that time could be used for better things? Um, and you, you could either do the thing like, I'll never let you have a phone, they're probably going to get one at 18, or you can go, hey, um, I, I want you to learn to navigate that. And so we held off as long as we could, and for uh, our boys don't get phones till 13. And so um, for some people, that, that's 6, some people, that's 17, some that's 18, doesn't matter when, but people, as adults, we need to learn to navigate that. That's an adult problem, right? That's not just a, a kid problem. So all those things it could be a spiritual reset. These next four or five weeks, um, it's always a good time for assessment, so evaluation. Um, we're going to be looking through January at identity and opportunity. And it's a series. Um, it's a good time to look at the big picture moving into the practical. So today we're going to look at the big picture of identity. What I mean, identity in Christ. So you're going to see there um, that we're going to be looking at the identity of a believer. So the identity for the individual believer. But um, I'm always trying to remind us that much of the New Testament is, is written with the author's intent of communal. Um, of the corporate body. We as Americans have a very individualized faith. So you get saved by praying this prayer. You do these spiritual disciplines. You grow. Um, church is kind of like, oh, I don't like this or that about. Uh, I, podcasts I can listen to. I can grow as a Christian. And that, that is just, just so you know, for you know, 1980 years, that was not the understanding. Uh, I know that that's the popular way now. That's not Christianity. And so it's a corporate thing. It's a corporate body. We grow in community. And, and, and you're always the best Christian in your own quiet time closet, right? But what, what happens? You sin usually when there's other people around. Like they frustrate you. And so we're going to look at for individuals and for the corporate body. And then we're going to build towards January 4th, I'm sorry, February 4th, being our uh, corporate renewal service. Looking at those things of, hey, as a, as a people, Let's take all of January just to slow down, not just one sermon, but to really take some time during January to assess where our hearts are at. And so thinking through identity. Um, when you look at the things facing um, adults, um, the depression, the um, anxieties, the fears, a lot of things that are going on with adults, a lot of things that have going on uh, the past the, the pandemic, um, with a lot of the, the racial things that have happened, with a lot of different things, there's, there's issues of identity. 
People find their identity in, in one little subcategory, subgroup, instead of their identity in Christ. And so we're going to be looking at that. Now, we usually don't look at that, and we're hearing a stream and a constant um, wave uh, of uh, media blitz and information um, from uh, the different places where we go to. And so sometimes we don't realize that we're doing that seven days a week, and so when someone just inserts, well, hey, you know, the Bible says this, it seems weird in the language that we're hearing, and we don't even realize it. It, it would be like a fish, you know, swimming in water all the time, and then someone would say, hey, you know, that water makes you wet. You are wet, and the fish would go, like, oh, I didn't even realize I was wet. Like, the, my number one thing is I've got scales and I'm wet. That's my first identity. And so um, for, for people that, that are saying they're believers, we need to look at that. And, and part of this whole sermon series is we're immersed in a culture in the Bible Belt, particularly in our area, where everyone assumes that they're believers. Most people around you are going to probably assume that they're a believer. Um, that Your neighbors, the, your coworkers, everyone thinks they're Christians, and yet you see nothing of Christ in their life, right? And so I, I shock people, but it's, it's one out of ten here in, in Tulsa. In Tulsa, tell, tell a Californian or a Seattleite or a New Yorker that, hey, one out of ten people are Christians. They would, the believer would be like, no way, you're, you're, you're delusional. There's no way one out of ten people are Christians in New York, one out of ten in California, one out of ten in, in, in Seattle. No way. Orla uh, not Orlando, uh, what's the, uh, up there in uh, uh, the, different, the different places around um, not Montana, but um, Oregon. Oregon, just like it's just a lost vastness. And so, in that, uh, beautiful areas, but one out of 10 in Tulsa. And you may go, oh, that's crazy. Sink. I thought it was seven out of 10. I thought it was six out of 10. Just notice, come to church late one week and just see how many people are, are going to church. And so, some crazy things are going on in our country, and identity is huge for that. And so, a corporate renewal time for us as a body to look at those, those things and go, um, Lord, I want to make sure that I'm not one of those people who are assuming so much and presuming so much about grace. And so um, we're going to be looking at that, and we're going to add, this is just kind of a side note for ongoing for the year of 2024. Every third Sunday, we've got to work this out with the Zomies, but every third Sunday from 9 to 9.50, we're going to have a corporate prayer time. And so from 9 to 9.50, it'll be guided. There'll be some stuff that we can have um, guided. We may go to a different room, but every third Sunday, um, 9 to 9.50, just a corporate prayer time. Just asking the Lord, hey, Lord, where, where's my heart at? What are some things you need to do with me? What about the people around me, lostness around me? The, the, our area of Tulsa. We can't win all of Tulsa, but would you bring in the lost? Would you, would you save people around us? Would you help us disciple people? Would you help to grow us individually, but also um, as a corporate body? And so once a month, having that. And so well, that'll mean we'll do setup at a, uh, maybe on Saturday night that time, or uh, maybe an hour, a little bit early on Sunday morning, but that'll be going forward. We're going to have our first, uh, we'll have a, the first of those instead of the third Sunday, we're going to have it on um, the, the last Sunday of January before our, Jan our February 4th corporate uh, renewal service. So a prayer time that Sunday before that morning. So we'll have more information about that at the end. I also wanted to um, bring out in this January sermon series on identity, the, also the identity of Sojourn Church. For a lot of people that have maybe come for a few weeks or a few months, uh, to be able to go back through stuff that we went through years one and two and three on our identity, that this is who we are, this is the way we function as a church. We always go by this, um, the, the biblical convictions, so from the Bible, that drives our theological vision. 
What you don't want to do is go, hey, what, what would work to grow a church? And by the way, this does work to grow churches. Just to go, what would work to grow a church? Like, I have a business degree, and I, I just want, I think we could market this really well, and we could get some really beautiful people with beautiful voices in a really cool area. And by the way, that works really well. But that's not going, hey, what do the scriptures say our church must be founded on? So you want to start with biblical convictions that lead to your theological vision, which is now the, the picture in the future of what you would love for God to do based on what you see in Scripture. Now, biblical convictions lead to your theological vision of the future, which includes your mission and your values. And now out of that, you get your practical ministries. So we have, we're going to do this with kids. We're going to do this with youth. We're not going to do these things because a lot of churches will start with that third area, practical ministries, and go, hey, what do we need to be doing? Let's start another Wednesday night thing. Let's start another Tuesday night thing. Let's start this. Let's start that. And so they're starting, instead of biblical convictions, theological vision, they start with, we've just got to do something. And a lot of times that, that fills up busyness. That's practical. That's pragmatic. And so we want to always be going off biblical convictions, theological vision, and then your practical ministries flowing out of that, if that makes sense. So that's what we're going to be covering in some of this um, sermon series, as well as um, I want us to, to, to emphasize the idea of opportunity. Um, we're going to see today that um, God is always working around us, and that the, the gospel is good news that's overcoming bad news in us, our own hearts and sin, but also the bad news surrounding us. The gospel is our hope. God sent the gospel into these areas that we're going to read about today. There was, there was no hope for them. There, there was nothing. There was no church in some of these areas. When God sent the gospel in, it was cities much worse than what we would consider the worst city in America. And so there is hope when you see that God has a plan, even for the worst of the worst. And so um, he, he's not surprised by 2024. So let me pray, and then we'll dive off into uh, this, this um, first of the series on identity. Lord, we thank you so much for... Um, just like Sujin said, a time together for this new year. We thank you for this new place that we have, that the Zomis have allowed us to meet in. We thank you for um, the opportunity to gather around your word, to sing praises to you, to, to rejoice in you, um, to partake of the Lord's Supper, to, to read and to hear the word preached, to respond, to have fellowship, um, to see baptisms take place. All of those graces, Lord, all of those things that you've provided for us. Um, we, we thank you that you have been... Um, exceedingly and abundantly generous to us in grace this last year. And we look forward and we anticipate um, what you're going to do this next year. We pray, Father, for um, some of these big vision things that you would um, help us to see how we're living our lives, help us to see the difference in what the Bible lays out for a, a true follower of Christ versus what maybe a um, person who assumes they're a Christian would think. And we're surrounded by that, Lord. We're surrounded by it. Would you help us to break into conversations with people um, to, to help uh, discern and to help clarify what the true gospel is, what the true Christ is in a city that has a Jesus that's so jacked up and so syncretistic to um, wealth and prosperity and health and all kinds of other things, uh, Christian nationalism, and all uh, Jesus that, that represents something that we've made up in our own head, Lord. And so I pray that you would help us to see the true Jesus Christ, to, to be overwhelmed by the grace that he's poured out on us. And I pray that you would help us to um, walk in that truth, that righteousness he's provided. In your name we pray, amen. 
So if you want to turn to Galatians 2.20 to start out, we're going to start there, Galatians 2.20 and 2 Corinthians 5.17, one of those first verses that you may have memorized when you were turning uh, your life to Christ. Um, some beautiful pictures all about identity. I could have chosen lots of different verses here, but these are two that are, um, and these are just appetizers, by the way. These two are just the appetizers. We're going to go to the book of Acts as our main uh, reference point, but I wanted to look at these two because this is the starting ground, so I'm assuming that you, you've read these before, and so uh, Galatians 2.20. Um, we'll start there. Um, beautiful picture, a lot that we could cover, but I'm not trying to go deep into this. Now, if you're visiting with us or if you've only been here a few weeks, we go through books of the Bible. So we're going to start in February. We're going to go through the book of Acts. We're going through part two of Acts, where we're going to go just verse by verse through chapter by chapter. And then in the summer, we kind of will finish that up and then we'll go into some other books. And so this is very topical today, if that helps you. Um, it, we're talking about identity. So I'm, I went to found verses that talk about our Christian identity. We're not going to go through the whole book of Galatians here. And so um, we're going to look at some um, topical verses on this, but, but some really good ones that bring out this idea of identity. So Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. So think through that. In your head, picture, we all know the picture of Jesus up on the cross. And, that, up on the cross, and that's a picture of showing a visible metaphor almost of you being up there with Christ. Now, it's not necessarily your body, but it's your sins. If you're a true believer, it's saying that God took the sins that you've lived out, past, present, and future, and pushed them onto Christ. And so the believer says, I now have been crucified with Christ. And so notice what he says right after this. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is a huge breaking point. Just that verse right there. You could get into conversations with people. That, uh, and I used to do this with college students all the time. Like, here, here's a guy that's living a certain lifestyle on the college campus. He's away from mom and dad. He's away from church. He's doing all these things. And, and he's living this certain lifestyle. He's clear about it. He's not even ashamed of it, really. He's just telling me, here's what I do Monday through Saturday. And then I go, and I, hold, hold and you lead worship at what place? You know, and so, yeah, I'm really good at guitar. Just playing, playing for a while. The girls love it, man. It's really cool. You're like, all right, let's go look at this one. All the stuff that you just said, this is your life, that was supposed to be crucified. That's all sin. Like You've just defined, this is all sinful lifestyle. That was supposed to be crucified with Christ. Therefore, you're no longer living in that, but your new life is now in Christ. So that's just a, a real easy way. Uh, Romans 6 is another way of showing people that. that. So, so cultural Christians that think that they ha can... can acknowledge a God out there somewhere, but live however they want to live, that's just wrong. That, that's crazy. That's never been the case. Um, and, and so that, those two sentences there, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And so we see there just the beauty that there's union with Christ. I, my life, my soul has been now joined with Christ. My sins have been applied to Christ. He died the death that I deserve to die. So there's union with Christ there. Um, talk about identity being a big issue for that would address a lot of things. If, you're, if you have kids, you have youth, teens, uh, identity is huge. Uh, 20-somethings, adults, identity is huge. Union with Christ and identity with Christ answers about 99% of the things. If you can get people in counseling, if you take a year or 18 months or two years to get people to see your identity in Christ 
But if you can get people to learn that, people's opinion of them doesn't matter. Their value and worth on what they make or what they do or what they look like or how busy they are doesn't matter. Your identity in Christ, that's everything. Your union with Christ, it's covered. Those two things, you, you, in counseling, you get a person into that and break away all those other things, that, man, lots of stuff goes away. Identity in Christ, union with Christ. Your sins are placed on Christ, crucified with him. Now you have a new identity. So let's look at, um, um, and, and by the way, that's what's missing for many who think that they are headed to heaven, but yet prayed a prayer 15 years ago, 20 years ago, and there's no, never been any life change. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19. Um, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, same, same idea there, he or she is a new creation. The, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Um, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So that picture there of, of God putting the sins onto Christ for your sake. So that's the idea of substitution, a substitutional atonement, where Christ stepped up on the cross, took your sins. You finally get to go before God one day as judge, and God says, you are not guilty. You are instead imputed as righteous as if you live perfect and holy. So you get not only the, the, the substitution that's taking on your sin, you get the substitution of the righteousness and the righteous robe of Christ as if you never sinned and as if you live perfectly holy. So this double substitution comes in. So you're a new creation, new identity. You're justified. That's what that word, not, that's what justified means, not guilty. You're reconciled. A lot of people have a problem with this. You're adopted as a true child of God. Everyone in America claims to be a child of God. All country music, everything's, you, everyone's a child of God, right? And, and in one sense, we are all created by God, and we're going to see that. But that does not mean that you're reconciled into the family. You are, every single person is separated from God in their sins until you are reconciled and adopted into his family. So we have a big misunderstanding in our culture about that. If, if, if I'm American, good person, uh, doing good things, then I'm a, I'm a child of God. That's what all this country music says. And so that's not true. You're separated from God in your sins. And our culture doesn't see it that way. Um, here's here's my, one of my favorite verses, the favorite sections. Uh, this is better than John 3.16 to me. Uh, you know, For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. So that's great. But everyone in Tulsa goes, yeah, of course God loves me. Uh, there's a lot to love. Have you seen me? Have you seen how good I am, how, I'm, how talented I am? There's a lot to love. And so we have no shock that God would love us. So John 3.16 is kind of like, well, yeah, of course. And that misleads people. So people aren't shocked by God's love. So what I love about verse 21 in, in 2 Corinthians 5, um, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Everything above in 17 through 20, everything is based off of those 10 words. Those 10 words are some of those powerful words written not only in the Bible, but in any book ever. He who had no sin, took our sin if you reversed it and flipped it. The one who had no sin steps up and takes our sin. And so God the Father, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. You got problems with forgiveness? Some people that have hurt you? Family members? Can't believe what they've done. Can't believe the pain. He's got an answer. 
Ten words. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. You got problems with little secret lusts going on? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. You got problems with um, self-seeking, prideful living, a lack of love for desire, undesirable people. Like, like you, you like people like yourself, but man, you, you don't really love people that are a lot different. You start hearing that they're this political party or, or this racial background or they believe this type of thing. Like, no, we're, we're just closed off. You got a problem loving people? He made him to be sin who knew no sin. It changes everything. You got a problem with greedy, selfish gain? slandering, critical spirit, contrarian spirit, secret life of sin, a closet of just shameful stuff. He made him who knew no sin to, to be sin. And then look at what it starts out with, for our sake. For our sake, he did that. If you're in Christ, you have been crucified with Christ. Your new identity, your new life here and in heaven is based off of those 10 words. So that's why I love that verse more than John 3.16. And I'm not saying John 3.16 is bad. I'm saying for people who already feel like, well, yeah, of course God loves me. It doesn't bring up the sinful part. I love 21 because it brings up, um, for our sake, this beautiful love. So this, those simultaneous things that you weren't deserving, you aren't deserving, you would have never deserved this, you weren't good enough, there's nothing to love, and yet he still slaughtered his son on your behalf. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. And so... Um, our identity finds its place as image bearers of Christ. We were made in the image of God, and now he owns us as a creator, but he owns us also as our redeemer. Um, our new identity is completely tied to our union with Christ. It's abiding in Christ. So let me ask you, what do you actually find your identity in? What do you actually find your identity. And, and, and again, we're really bad at cognitive dissonance where we, we, we think this about myself, but everyone experiences this other thing, right? Like, I think I'm really, really friendly and nice. I'm always this. I'm just really, really. And people are like, you're nothing like that. Like, there's 30 of us in your office. None of us feel that way. Like, you, cognitive dissonance. Like, you think this about yourself, but, but no, you have proof in the way that you live that I'm really not like that. Um, and, and again, for some people, that means that they're not even believers, but yet they, they assume they are. So here's these directional scriptures. Let's look at Acts. So those were two kind of little appetizers there about just our identity in Christ as individuals, but also in the corporate body, the beauty of the work that God's done in Christ. So this is Acts 17. The reason I bring this up, start of the new year, that the thrust of this passage is that it's 2024. God did not send Paul or Moses or David or Solomon or Job, or, or, or Peter, God said, hey, 2024, 8.1 billion people on the planet, this is the crew of people I want on the earth at this time. I, I think part of it for me is that God knew I would be just kicking stones around, like just complaining because they didn't have ice in all these other times. And I would just been the guy walking around complaining, like, does anyone know where ice is? And I'm like, thank you, we don't even know what ice is. You've been talking about this your whole life. We don't have ice. We don't know what it is. And so that that's probably part of it for me. But there's this thrust of purpose, intentionality in God's plan. And so as you see that, um, you, if, you try to, if you're one of the people who are just laid back and apathetic and you're like, well, God would just never use me. No, he, he really did have a purpose and a plan for you to be intentional with this. And so um, it brings out God's purpose and plan. And so this is Paul standing in the midst of the Areopagus. 
17, this is verse 22. And this Areopagus is an area where they came and it'd be like an elevated thing and then people would kind of be standing and talking and they would learn different philosophies and things like that, if you remember in your humanities. Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, he said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So he says, hey, um, so let's, let's talk about Athens a little bit. Athens had been the, the, the cultural center 400 years early, earlier. It was the most powerful city on the planet. So not only um, the list of um, wonderful philosophers that come out of that, but 30,000 gods in Athens. Temples, shrines, all this stuff. You can still visit today and see the ruins of those things. 30,000 gods. Confusing as people? Does Tulsa have that? We have different ones that are usually in our driveway or in our bank account or in our, my status or the way I look or whatever, but we still have idols. They're just not in temples. And so we, we, we have these things going on, same as Athens is going on. And Paul walks around, sees all these temples, all these shrines. He says, hey, I noticed at one point there was even one that said, to an unknown God. So what, why this matters for us and why this is relevant is this is a generic God. We've got all these other idols, but... Paul says, hey, the one that you said, an unknown God, just to kind of cover your tail, um, in, in case there's this other generic God out there, you want to try to appease him? I see by your worship, you're very religious. You do things. In America, part of our greatest problem with American Christianity, American evangelicalism, is a, a, just a generic God. Just a generic God. Same thing. We have idol, uh, idolatry going on, and we have just, just this generic God out there. Same thing, and he's saying, hey, I'm going to describe to you what this God is like. And that, that's the reason I wanted to start here is this similar context with Athens. Um, he says, as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with that inscription to the unknown God. So now he's going to go from general revelation to more specific revelation as he goes through this um, little sermon. It says, the God, in verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. It's like me saying this. Buildings are not with four white walls. You'd go, you're nuts, Sankey. Look where we're at. It's four white walls. And Paul's saying, hey, this God, you want to talk about gods? You got 30,000 of them here? Temples surrounding us in in eyesight of every one of us? Hey, I'm talking about the one true God. And so all those different gods, think of that. They had the God of the sea, the God of the ocean, the God of the crops, the God of uh, reproduction, the God of the sun, the God of the moon, the God of their, all, all, all kinds of provision, all these different gods. And he goes, no, no, scrap all that. Scrap all the temples. There's one true God, the Lord of heaven and earth. Man, in America, in, in, in Tulsa specifically, like I said, we've got a Jesus who's been made in our image. You know, the start in Genesis says that God made man in his image. Well, we've reversed the trend, and we said we're going to make God in our image. I want a Jesus who fits in and looks like what I think he should look like. Whether that's my status, my political party, church affiliation, all those things. If it's the health, wealth, prosperity gospel, if it's tied to um, different powers, whatever, militaristic powers, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. We need a clarity to scrap all that away 
and said, no, here, here's the one true Jesus. This is what this true God is. And so Paul's doing that with them. He says, nor is he served by human hands, because they did a lot. They had a lot of spinning plates, as though he needed anything, since he himself is the one who gives life and breath and everything to them. And so he's saying, Yahweh, God Almighty, he is set apart from all the other gods. He is the sovereign Lord. And so that's what he just said about, about this next section we're going into. And then verse 26, and he made from one man every nation of mankind. That's not what they'd heard. There was different family gods. There was different idols, different deities. He made, this one God made from every nation of mankind. So he's going back to Genesis, pointing them to that story, to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places. He knew the family that he was sending you into. He knew your family of origin. He knew what year you were going to be born. He knew you were going to be short and squatty, tall and skinny, zits, no zits, glasses, no glasses, crazy hair, curly hair, straight hair, no hair. He, he sees all these things. And he also knows not only the things that were done to you, which that's here, here's our identity. You don't understand though. I could never really serve God if you knew my past. God, I, I just would never be able to. He knows. You got a new identity though. Your new identity says in Christ, God is speaking through me. I can make disciples. He promised, I have all authority on heaven. It's not about your story. It's, it's your story enveloped in his story to where now when you just speak about your own life and testimony, it's not about how bad you are or how good you were or how moral you were. It's about Christ's power. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Just, just talk to people about your life. Open up your life and share. And you can share some of your past or whatever. You can share, but, but mainly share what God has done in your life. And so we don't, we don't think through how much identity plays into it. And a lot of people live in the hurts and wounds, and we act out of our wounds and hurts. And that's not some uh, silly um, uh, psychological word. That's a reality. Your, your brain is wired that way, and your, uh, your own, um, the way that you interact with people, all of that. And so the new identity says that will fix everything. It trumps all psychology. It trumps all science. It trumps all those things. And those other things, I'm not one of those pastors who, who's a fraidy cat of those things like, oh, that, that doesn't matter. The, uh, your past doesn't matter. And you know, this doesn't matter. And science doesn't matter. And medicine doesn't matter. And all these. No, no, those things have huge effects. Christ in the new identity, that trumps all those things. It doesn't do away with those things. It says those things are real, but Christ has overcome all that. And that's the beauty and the freedom that we have in him. And so that's what Paul's saying. Hey, he knew what you've gone through. He knew, he knew your weaknesses. He, he knew your strengths. And so we don't have this excuse of, well, God will just never use me, so I'll never open my mouth. God would never use me, so I don't want to be around people because I, I'm not a good enough model for that. I'm not a good enough Christian for that. At the same time, it, it's for people to, get, to realize, hey, God has been pursuing you. He's been using the gospel. He's been using the Spirit. And we're going to see that. He says right after this, He knew that allotted, He determined the allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they would, so that they would seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. He's using language that, that was very common, this idea of this feeling and emotional thing, but also this, this searching out for these, all these uh, people that were very much into philosophy. Um, he was talking about this like, oh, that, that made sense in their, their language there. Paul's phenomenal at that. And they would find him. Yeah, he's actually not far from each one of us. In him, we live and move and have our being. So general revelation. So our, our identity 
can be rocked in the fact that God is our creator. It, let, let's do this. I don't believe this, so if anyone happens to check on online and they hear this part going on, they're like, oh man, that, is that what they believe? So this is not true, but let's take away hell. Let's take away heaven. Let's say it was just fatalism. Um, just complete, like you really are, you're just dust in the wind. The old, the old song, like after you die, there, there's nothing more. You, there's no soul sleep. There's no heaven or hell to go to. So, so therefore, there's no redemption needed. Let's say, so again, uh, I repeat, I repeat, uh, this is not true. I'm, I'm using an illustration. And so um, on that, just the idea that um, if there was not any, look at your life. Look at, look at the world that he's placed around. Is he not worthy of worship just with all that? I mean, hey, let's even go this wrong. Let's go this far wrong thinking. Even the sins that you enjoy, sensuality, um, just, just prideful, I feel so powerful. I'm, I'm so great at everything I do. Even the sinful things, he could be worshiped out of that. That's how great he is. He let you be a cocky, arrogant fiend to people for years in his grace. He let you minimize him and live for yourself. He should be worshipped even if there was no heaven or hell. And even if, if you even just look from a sinful perspective, this God is incredible. But that's not what we're doing. That's all we're doing. I just want you to see, though, just as, as, as your true identity being found in him, that's nowhere close to a biblical understanding. But do you see even for lost people, hey, you can bring that up in conversations. Um, your identity in Christ also solves this confusion in lost culture. So he goes into now from general revelation to specific revelation. In verse 29, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and the imagination of man. So the times of ignorance God overlooked, but, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, Christ, whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So there's, there's a lot of beauty in this, but, but we've got we to gotta keep going. If we go backwards into um, looking at Acts 1.8, um, thinking through this idea, asking this question, what do you find your identity in? Have you taken some time to think through and assess what is my identity in? In Acts 1.8, going backwards in time, Jesus has died on the cross. He's resurrected. He's on the earth for 40 days. And verse 6 says, So when they had come together, here's the guys, the disciples. They've seen all the miracles. They've seen him treat people with, with hatred towards him, with such grace. They've seen him do miracle after miracle after miracle. They've had all the, the late night sessions of, what is he doing? He rebuked them sometimes when they thought they had a good idea and a good leadership moment, and he would rebuke them because it wasn't about the heart and it was about the kingdom. And he's just rebuking them like, you're not getting it. You're not getting it. And here after all that, his death, he's resurrected from the grave. Pretty big deal. Like, you got to be scratching your head. And here the disciples come, and they're just like you and me. And, hey, when, when are things going to change for the good for me? Notice what they say. So when the time had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? We, we know now you are clearly God. 
Sorry about that three times that I kept betraying you. Sorry about all of us kind of running and hiding. Like, let, let's get over that. But, hey, but now we know you are truly the Son of God. You are truly God. You resurrected after dying on the cross. Look at you. Hey, now are you coming in your power? Is your military forces coming? Are we going to trump these, uh, these Romans? Is, is you, you're going to set up your government because government's where power is. Strength is where, where money and finances and power of government, that's where it is. He just gently but harshly rebukes them. He says, that's not what you're supposed to be fixated on right now. Haven't you seen, haven't, haven't I revealed to you the cost of following me? He says, um, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority of when this, this true kingdom is going to hit. But then, but then verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Here's what I've shown you to be the focus of my life if you're my disciples. Your life is going to be about me. Stop worrying about when, when life gets more comfortable, when gets, life gets more easy, when culture out there that I don't like, when are, they gonna, when are you going to do away with them? When are you going to change the government powers to where everyone agrees with me? That's not, that's not what I come for. I come for love. Did you, did you just see? We're just a few days after this. Do you see what life is supposed to be about? Do you see what it's supposed to be about? Dying for one another? and Dying for, for the, the causes of love, of grace, of mercy, of this eternal kingdom? That's what this, this life is about. Do you guys not get that? The community that you have together. So he says, your life is going to be about me. You'll reflect my story and my glory. You're a new identity. And so... Jesus was showing them God's unfolding plan of making disciples and establishing churches, starting up new churches, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the Holy Spirit's going to come on you in power. And that word dynamos is like, it's it's power, not like just the supernatural um, idea of just for miracles. It was when you speak words about what Jesus did, it's going to change people's souls. That's the word of power there. That the Holy Spirit's going to come on you in power. So what happens? What's the book of Acts from Acts 1-8? Every sentence from then on, that's why we're going through the book of Acts, is showing that exact thing. So what's the first few chapters about? In Jerusalem. He said it's going to happen in Jerusalem, and then in Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And by the way, um, English wasn't around then. The U.S. wasn't around then. We, weren't, we were not even an afterthought, Right? Look at God's grace that has flowed to us because of the beauty and the power of the gospel in, in what he proclaimed in Acts 1.8. So, what is your identity? And he goes on there just as an afternote in 9-11. through 11, and, and you know, he lifts up from the earth into the clouds and then the, the angels say, hey, what are you guys doing standing here looking? He's, he's, he's going to come back in the same way that he ascended. And so now we're in between that time when Jesus lifted up of the earth, when they first wrote this, to the time that we're at now. We're waiting for his second advent. The first advent was finished. The second advent where all this come out. And so, again, asking that question, what's your identity? So we're exposing cultural Christianity. I've got a slide. Of, this is an umbrella of just what um, it, 
it falls into kind of this American evangelicalism. And so just to close, now we've looked at identity as a true believer, as far as an individual, and then in the corporate sense, um, there has to be this transformation, this life change. And there's a lot around us, there's a lot of people surrounding us who haven't had that transformation and life change. The difficulty in that is because a lot of people assume that the America, they see as America, and they equate it with Christianity, which was never the case. It was never the case. And so um, I, I could, uh, later on the next two or three weeks, I'll begin to show you, um, like, you want, you want to look at pornography rates? Seattle, New York, California, Bible Belt, any city Bible Belt? You want to look at adultery rates? You want to look at um, um, crimes against children? You want to look at abuses? You want to look at alcoholism? You want to look at drug, drug use? Christian nation. You want to look at Muslims landing in this Christian nation, and there's a 45-foot Victoria's Secret lady laying at the airport in LAX? Christian nation. You want to look at, I mean, just look at our social media. Look at look at our TV. Look at our television shows. Look at everything. And so just know that, that, that I mean, you're, you should be grateful to be an American, but it does not equate to being a Christian, right? And everyone around you does not understand that. Everyone around you does not understand that. So this umbrella, our rights, our values, our, our pursuits, my goals in life, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Now, I, I cry a tear when I hear Lee Greenwood sing, uh, you know, God bless America, God bless the USA. And that makes me a Christian. Not at all. Not at all. Um, my right as an American does not make me a Christian. Do we think that God is obligated to my American rights more than to his new identity that he offers as, as a true believer. And there's a confusion level there. Um, so let me show this confusion, confusion level. How many tens of millions believe that their good values or their political views make them right with God? You get into conversations with people, and you get to hear lifestyle and the way they think, what they think about other people, um, what they think about the poor, what they think about the oppressed, what they think about different things is going on. There is no sense of mercy or grace or concern about getting the gospel to them. Nothing of Christ-like new identity except separate, we're winners, they're losers, get them away from it. And so my whole life is like this. It comes out, I, mean, I, I vote a pro-life ticket. I, I live better morals than most on a sliding scale. I'm not hurting anyone. i got a really good job. I, I, I love my country. And again, when Carrie Underwood sings the national anthem, I, my eyes tear up. That equates to Christianity. It's what a lot of people believe. And I just want you to see the separation between that. This is nothing anti-American at all. This is saying, man, we should be grateful, amazed by the Look where we're at. If there's any place that we should be going, man, we are thankful, God, that you let us meet. This is an area that some people consider you know, dangerous. Everyone kind of says, like when our parents here were going there, they look that up. They're like, are you safe to park there? You know, like, are you, is it safe for you to meet there as a church? And so it's incredibly safe. And not only that, we don't have to worry about people walking in with guns and taking away our rights to worship. Where, you know, two-thirds of the world, that's not the case. So stick with me. We're looking at exposing cultural Christianity we're trying to discern identity in Christ, what that looks like. So here's this slide about self. So this is the popular way of viewing things. And this is, um, again, this is people who pray to prayer sometime, maybe pray to prayer two or three times, baptize a couple times in their teen years. And yet, what's the center of their life? Who's on the throne of their life? Self. 
Man, the work is, you know, it, it has to occupy a lot of time because you work a lot of hours, 40, 50, 60 hours. And so, so income's just a huge part. You know, a house is tied to that. And, you know, I really thought she was hot. And we all liked her when we got started. Or I really thought he was hot when we got, first got together. That, that he's, he or she's kind of, the spouse kind of just moved out to a, a secondary position. Now the kids, they're important. We got we to gotta set up things for the kids. Uh, hobbies, comfort, my 401k. Um, for, for a lot of lost people, and, and it's creeping into the church, your sexual identity, I feel like I'm not a male, or I feel like I'm not a female, I feel like I'm this, all those type things. Political, health, all that. People are, they, they want their identity to be in one of those things, two or three of those things, where's God at? He's barely a blip on the radar. And that's what we're surrounded by. Um, the, the next slide shows um, just the, the difference in that in Galatians 2.20, remember that? I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I live now, it's not about that, that circle. It's about Christ. Self is off the throne. Sure, I would still love to, and I'm drawn to want those things. You ever seen the people that, that their, their identity, whether it's on social media or every time you talk to them, it's 2024, it's a political year. Where, where's their identity going to be wrapped up in? It's all you're going to hear. What about what about if it's uh, on on their their hobbies? You ever you meet that guy? Remember, I've joked about the uh, the, the Yeti guy. I had a, a guy who just like would Yeti come out like all he wanted. Like all of a sudden he had like Yeti hats, four Yeti hats. He had like seven Yeti shirts. He had Yeti you know uh, different igloo or Yeti uh, um, freezer things. And then he, then he's walking around. And he was just he wanted to be Yeti man. He just wanted to be known as Yeti man. I just I am Yeti man. I, one time I was like, hey man, you only go out outside like twice a year. Like you're the most inside computer gaming guy I know, but yet you want to be known as Yeti man. And so cognitive dissonance, right? And so that, that's what people do. We, we, we put one of those things up there and what begins to happen, we, we move that to central and that becomes an idol and we don't realize it. And the reason you don't realize it is because everyone else is doing their own idolatry also. And so we're just swimming in that water. And why am I going to judge him? Because he's the Eddie man. Because I'm career man. I'm income man. I'm this political party man. And you get to do it on social media. So let's look at this next slide. Christ being the central. If Christ is on the throne of your life, man, family, what you begin to look at at this, these circles is relationships trump stuff. Relationships begin to move in, in front of and ahead of um, other things, stuff. So you begin to see there, man, my church family. A lot of times people will say, man, my, my church family, we're closer than some of my other relatives. Some of my, my, my in-laws, some of my uh, family members, man, we have a rough time, but man, my church family, I know they love me. Hobbies, find their right place. This is not a, a sermon about don't you dare go play golf. Don't you dare take a vacation. Don't you dare build a house. Don't you dare have income or be successful. No, no, it's saying in the right order, in the right understanding, in the right place to where God and Christ is central. And out of that, these other things are in healthy places to where they don't become idols. So when you look at your work and your job, you're thankful and grateful because you're a steward. It's not so you can have this lifestyle or do all this stuff or have all this stuff. It, it, you're a steward that God has blessed us, and we want to be a streamline from that blessing from God to others because people matter more than just more stuff and more stuff or more of this and more of that. And so I'm a steward now of this stuff. I'm a steward of my children. 
It's my kids. It's my kids. No, God placed them in your family through you, and you are a steward of them now for a certain amount of years. They're always going to be tied to you, but you're a steward over them. All those things. Your political affiliation, your, your, your retirement, my identity in Christ. I've got security. I'm not so worried, and, and I'm not going to fight the way that they fight on social media, on political stuff, or worry all the time about my 401k. All things are put in perspective. So all of those things to show that, that if, it's, if your identity is right, you're not finding your identity as, I'm American, I'm Republican or Democrat, I'm American, uh, I'm a, uh, whether it's an attorney or a janitor, that that's my identity. I'm a hunter, I'm a fisherman. No, your identity's in Christ. Those other hobbies, those other things find their place smaller than your identity in Christ. Um, you don't want to stand before God at the end of this and Him going, I laid and poured all of this out to you so clearly, and yet you live for these other things. And I'm telling you, when Jesus says that in Matthew 7, many, 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 many evangelicals, evangelicals are going to come to me and go, Lord, didn't we do all this stuff? And he's going to say, depart from me. I, I was never central. You never loved me more than these other things in your life. Depart from me. I never knew you. You, you never surrendered your life to me. So that's what identity speaks of. So in closing, um, the walkaways. Have you taken time to look back over the last year and ascribe glory to God, thanksgiving for himself and all that he has provided? Would this be a good month? Not just today. Not, you don't have to go home today and try to squeeze it in before dinner tonight. But like thinking through, maybe this week even, more kind of thinking through, ascribing glory to God. What has he done this last year? As a couple getting together, hey, what has he done? What are, what are some things that we'd like to see happen in our life spiritually this year coming up? What things do you need to assess are there some different assessments that you need to think through in your life? A lot of people live with a lot of regret. I'll, I'll mention some of those next week. Just, we, we live off the regrets. I wish last year I would have done this. Man, it's a great time to start those things in grace this year. I'm building toward corporate renewal. Am I considering those ongoing aspects of faith and repentance, the rhythms of conviction, repentance, confession, renewal, rest, rejoicing? And then just truly beginning to ask the spirits of what is my actual identity found in? Am I someone that's just easily misled that I'm assuming or presuming upon grace? What do I really find my identity in? Not, not aspirational, but actualized. It's a great place to start the new year, just thinking through your identity, identity as a family. Um, and it may go, man, I need a lot of help. I think that I have been a person who has found my identity in this thing. Now, how do I change that? That's a great place to start. And the Holy Spirit will give you direction and talk to someone and if you're going through um, Life as a Vapor, it's a great thing. It's a 31-day experience. If you buy it online, just start looking. If you, and we're on like day six or seven today. So it's got some great things that really challenge. Again, this today was probably very confrontive if you've been swimming in waters of media and listening to voices you know, 24-7 from this. This identity in Christ saying that other stuff doesn't matter as much can be very, very weird. And so... Um, let me pray as we um, move towards um, the Lord's Supper.